My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we go through the Word of God, and I'm looking forward to continuing our journey through Matthew chapter 11 today, going to be looking at verses 20 to 30 as we finish off this chapter. Just a reminder, if you've not had a chance to listen to any of my previous messages, uh, done hundreds of them now, uh, just encourage you to do that, listen to those, and uh, got complete books of the Bible and others that I'm work- working my way through. Uh, you can follow playlists of that on my YouTube channel. And you can listen to the podcasts and uh, do whatever you can. Whatever works for you, I don't mind. And like, comment, and uh, and subscribe and share. When you comment, it really means so much to people and encourages people. So please go ahead and do that. We're continuing today through the book of Matthew, chapter 11. We're going to pick it up at verse 20. When Jesus has just told the disciples, hey, listen, you are going to have to grab a hold of this commissioning that I'm giving you. And uh, and so now he's about to actually rebuke the cities that didn't repent in the light of what John the Baptist had done in those cities and then what Jesus himself had actually done. And there's some really poignant parts of this particular scripture. Verse 20, Then Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Amazing. He said, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. What a way for Jesus to speak about places and the people in them. Capernaum was where Jesus lived. This is his hometown. This is where he's done these mighty works. And because of most of his mighty works were done in these cities, they experienced a brighter light, a greater light than any other place, which meant that they had a greater responsibility. When you and I see greater things done in our lives, we have a greater responsibility because of that. And this principle, greater light means greater responsibility, means that the Western world has a tremendous and massive accountability before God. The, the West has had an access to the gospel that no other society has, and yet it still remains in desperate need of repentance. And he says it'll be more tolerable for you. Jesus said that it'll be more tolerable for certain cities in the day of judgment. He implies that there are, in fact, different degrees of judgment. Some will be punished more severely in the final judgment than others. D.A. Carson said there are degrees of happiness in paradise and there are degrees of torment in hell. Matthew 12, Matthew 23, Luke 12. A point that Paul well understood in Romans 1 and 2. The implications for Western English-speaking Christendom today are sobering. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. 
God's judgment was fulfilled against these cities. Each of them was destroyed long ago and has been desolate for, for generations upon generations. Uh, I've been there. I've been to these places. There's nothing left. They're still trying to find Bethsaida. There's, there's, there's dispute over whether they found it or not. But Chorazin and uh, Capernaum, they know undoubtedly where those places are and you can go there and visit them. And they are ruins. We don't read in the Gospels about the great works that Jesus did in Chorazin and Bethsaida. But we are told something in John chapter 21, verse 25. There are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. See, there were so many more miracles and things that Jesus did that are not documented. And what Jesus did in Chorazin and Bethsaida are among those unwritten works. And it's a good reminder that the Gospels are a true account of Jesus' life, but he did as much that was not included in them as what they actually record. Spurgeon said this, Capernaum, his own city, the headquarters of the army of salvation, had seen and heard the Son of God himself. Therefore, he mourned to see Capernaum remained as hardened as ever. William Barclay, these cities did not attack Jesus Christ. They did not drive him from their gates. They did not seek to crucify him. They simply disregarded him. Neglect can kill as much as persecution can. This is the point that Jesus was trying to make. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. We sense a strong note of joy in Jesus' tone of communication with his heavenly Father. The, the persons in the Trinity speak and they commune with each other with joy and love and respect and reverence. G. Campbell Morgan, the use of the word answered is suggestive, revealing the perpetual fact of communion between Jesus and God. The note of praise was the response of Christ's heart to the secret of Jehovah. Jesus answered and said, he's having a conversation with God the Father and we just happen to pick it up in the middle of the conversation. And he says, you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, reveal them to babes. Jesus was happy that God had chosen the unlikely, those seen in the world as babes, to respond to his message and to his kingdom. And, and it should be seen in the larger context of the, the, the rising rejection of Jesus and his messengers that started in Matthew chapter 9. And he says, then he goes on to describe the relationship that God the Father has with God the Son. He says, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Since Jesus referred to himself as the Son, we've got another self-focused statement from Jesus about who he is. And he proclaims that only he is the one that has true relationship with God the Father. 
and that the Father could only be known through the Son, to whom the Son wills to reveal him. These are, these are amazingly, astonishingly uh, incredulous claims about Jesus himself. Which now we know Jesus was more than just justified to make. At the time, the people that were hearing these statements had his healing ministry and what he did, the miracles, only really to gauge whether he was the Son of God and were they going to believe what John the Baptist said, that here is the Messiah, he has now come. And this verse uh, in Matthew eleven twenty five reveals a lot to us about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Uh, it reveals to us that there are no secrets between the Father and the Son. And if there are, it is through voluntary choice of not knowing something. The way that the Son doesn't know when he's coming back, only the Father knows. Jesus just chose not to know that information. Could know it, but there are no secrets withheld from one to the other. There is no one who knows the Son as well as the Father. There's no one who knows the Father as well as the Son. And the Son chooses to reveal the Father. There, David Guzik said this, There is an important difference in the way that the Son knows the Father and the way we may know him. We may know God the Father because he stoops low to make, us, make himself known to us. God the Son knows God the Father because they are equal in nature, completely compatible with one another. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, come to me. Jesus showed his authority when he says, come to me. It's an invitation that really is unthinkable out of the mouths of anybody else but God. And, and, Woe to any man that says, come to me, instead of says, go to Jesus. That's why our job as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to say, go to Jesus. I should have a life that is worthy of imitation in some regards. Just as the apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But Paul, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I know myself as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I point people to Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Nobody else saves but Jesus. Nobody else heals but Jesus. Jesus himself is the person to whom we must come to and we must trust him. Spurgeon said, we must come to Jesus, not to a doctrine, not to an ordinance, not to a ministry, but to the personal saviour, Jesus himself. And he says, who should come? All the people who labour, and are heavy laden. Two different things. Jesus directed his call to those who were burdened. Uh, he called those who sensed that they must come to him to relieve their need instead of trying to live by doing it themselves. And, and according to D.A. Carson, labor implies the burdens we take upon ourselves and heavy laden implies the burdens that somebody else has put on us. Uh, heavy laden suggests the same thought as Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, which we'll get into later, where Jesus spoke against the religious leaders of the day as those who bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's an incredibly 
awesome offer, inviting us to take his yoke upon us and learn from him. Which means that we must come as disciples to learn from Jesus. You have to be guided by his yoke. You've got to connect yourself to Jesus. You're not... You're not free to do whatever you want when you become a Christ follower. You're, you're free to be yoked to Jesus, now joined to him. Not, you're not there just merely to get something. You're there to give and to fo- fo- follow him and be guided by him. How can you be guided by him? By being yoked to him. According to Adam Clark, the ancient Jews commonly used the idea of a yoke to express someone's obligation to God. Uh, There was the yoke of the kingdom, the yoke of the law, the yoke of the command, the yoke of repentance, the yoke of faith, the general yoke of God. And in this context, it's easy to see Jesus simplifying all this, saying, listen, forget about all those other yokes. Take my yoke upon you and just learn from me. If we would just listen to what Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, then we would just take it and, and we'd see what kind of yoke it is. But I don't think many Christians want to do that. They want to receive the free gift of salvation, but they don't want to be yoked to Jesus. They don't want to be connected and have to do what Jesus now tells them to do or says, this is how you have to live. No, 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 I just want the free gift of salvation. But now I want to do whatever I want. I'm I'm going off on my own journey. But the yoke of Jesus is easy. It's light compared to the yoke of other people. The yoke of Jesus is easy and light as long as you don't try to go against it. The yoke of Jesus has nothing to do with the worries that we are forbidden to have. We're not allowed to worry. When you yoke to Jesus, you won't. And the yoke of Jesus doesn't include the burdens that we choose to add on to it. The only burden that we get from the yoke of Jesus is a positive burden for the salvation of those to whom we are called to reveal Jesus to. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. Jesus described his gift to his followers as rest for your soul. It's an unmatchable gift. It's powerful. It's profound. And it should be considered the birthright of those who come to Jesus and his followers. They should believe that something's wrong if they don't experience rest for their souls. R.T. France said, you will find rest for your souls is an echo of the Hebrew text of Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, where it is the offer of God to those who follow his way. Jesus now issues the invitation in his own name. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus summarizes this call with an assurance. And the assurance is that yoke is easy and the burden is light because he bears it with us. See, you and I are not meant to bear burdens alone and try to get through without Jesus or just run to Jesus when we think we can't take any more. No, from the moment you accept the gift of salvation, you give your burdens to him. You're yoked and connected to him. He bears your burdens with you. See, because if you bear it alone, I promise you it will almost be unbearable and it will break you. But with Jesus, it'll be easy and it will be light. Don't be broken by burdens that Jesus wants to take from you and that you refuse to give to him because you don't know whether he can help you or not. See, the call to to a life of a disciple is 
a call to be yoked to Jesus. It's not where you just get to do whatever you want. It's also not a call to some lazy or indulgent life. There is a yoke to bear. There is a burden to carry, but it's a light burden, but there's still a burden to carry. But it's with Jesus and it's in Jesus. It's easy. It's light. Not because Jesus makes lighter demands, but because it represents entering into a disciple relationship with him. R.T. France says that. And if your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy, then we can say that it's not his yoke at all. And it's not his burden. And you aren't letting him bear it. Jesus says, my yoke is only easy and my burden is only light. So anything that you and I are experiencing that's not, is not from him. Now, my observations today, as I mentioned, I've been to Corazin, uh, Bethsaida, around those areas, uh, Capernaum, obviously, as I mentioned, Bethsaida is still being discovered. And there's no existing city there, and it's actually very sad to go there. It's very inspirational because you, you are in the place where you know Jesus was and where miracles took place. But when you look at the city, it's sad that none of them are still thriving because you can go to Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, and, you, and it's a thriving place. You can go to Bethlehem. It's a thriving place. Jerusalem, thriving. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, not thriving. And they saw miracles and they saw Jesus himself. So you and I must not be like those places. When we've seen Jesus in our lives, we can't forget. and We've got to have a greater responsibility. That's my first observation. Second is don't expect to have no yoke when you follow Jesus. Don't expect it to just be all easy. The yoke will be easy. The burden will be light, but there'll still be a burden. You're yoked to him. You're yoked to his will. And, and, and that means that you and I are called to live the same way that Jesus did. Jesus uttered the most amazing words in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, God, if there's any way that this cup can be taken from me, if there's another way to save mankind, please, please let me out. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the same determination that you and I have to have. We have to have a nevertheless attitude. Nevertheless, not what I want. It's what you want, God. And if that's what you've called me to do, I'll do it. That's the determination that we are called to have. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us examples of cities that are thriving and cities that are not. You've given us promises in your word about what will and won't happen to those who reject you and those who receive you. And I pray, Lord, that we would, we, we would have a, a fresh commitment to playing our part uh, in spreading the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But I also pray, Lord, for people today who have a heavy burden. They have a heavy, a heavy burden upon their shoulders. It's just weighing them down. And God, I pray for them right now that you just bring a peace and a release, Lord, right now of that burden. That they would just, they would feel a freedom in giving you that burden. Cast it before you so you can take it from them. And I pray, Lord, that then they would be yoked to you through your word. I pray, Lord, that they would read your word even more. They would listen to your promises and believe that they are for them. And if that word that they read that day says, don't worry, that they wouldn't worry. If that word says, don't fear, that they wouldn't fear. 
if that word that they read says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you, that they would then cast their cares upon you. And I pray, Lord, that they would live in a new freedom because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we're yoked to you, we will be free to follow you, free to go wherever you lead us, free to go wherever you take us, knowing that you're the one who is leading us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.